Good morning. How you guys doing? It's good to see you. I have uh, my crew coming up behind me. We're going to have a fun, fun time here in a minute. Um, as they get set up, I do want to mention just two prayer requests. I know that we have lots of prayer requests, and you can always go and submit a prayer request online on our website, and it goes out to the prayer team. And maybe you're one of those like, I, I want to be praying for people. Let, let me be a part of that. Contact the office. We'll put you on that, uh, that team as well. But two things in particular um, I wanted to mention and, and pray for this morning before we get into God's Word. Um, one, and I sent an email out to the church, and hopefully you're on that list or have our email, your email in our database. Um, Lori Caldwell is on hospice right now, and uh, she's been battling cancer for, for quite some time, and uh, it's, it's taken quite a toll on her. But um, I wanted to let you know that just to be praying for her and, and her family um, at, during this time. It's just a difficult time. And I mentioned in my first email that she was open and wanted visitors, and, and uh, then when she had a lot of visitors, and got really tired. And so she wants just prayer, and uh, I, I know some of you are very, very good friends, and I'm sure you could always reach out to her and, and see about a visit, but uh, just do that for her, not for you, okay? Um, and we're going to pray for her and her family today this morning. But also want to pray, um, Anna had mentioned her home country of El Salvador, it, it's uh, elections are today. And, and it's really one of those tipping moments there where it could, could we go where there are people are God-honoring or are they going to go to a place that, that are going to be stronger persecution in that country because of the elected officials. So we just want to take a minute to pray, pray for El Salvador as well and the people there. Can we do that? All right, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, uh, we know that you are a sovereign God and, and nothing and no one escapes your view. So God, we, in, in, in saying that and knowing that and believing that, we, we stop to pray for Lori Caldwell. God, we pray that you would be right with her, uh, making her so aware of your presence, comforting her, God. As, uh, and God, we, still, we are still hopeful for you to heal her. But God, we know that that's, that's not what always happens. And, and Father, we, we just pray that your will be done. And God, that hope would, would reign and that joy uh, would be found. And, and God, that we would rejoice with her as she rejoices and mourn with her and her family as they mourn. God, be with Eldon and Evan and God, her sisters and her mom. And God, all, the whole family that's around, friends included. God, just again, making them so aware of your presence and drawing them closer and closer to you that they'd find rest and hope and security in Christ alone. Father, we pray for these elections that are happening in El Salvador. Again, you are sovereign over every nation. You're sovereign over every ruler, over every king, over every president. We know uh, that no one would be in power without you allowing that. So, Father, but we do pray. We pray for, for righteousness to prevail. We pray for, for leaders, for, for, first of all, people, Christian people, people who have a say to, to make their voice known and God to stand up against uh, unrighteousness. And, Father, that as, as they go to the polls, as they try to elect a leader, that that would be one that would rule with, uh, with justice and righteousness, with you in mind, and th that wouldn't be indifferent to you. So yeah, we pray for that. We pray for the people there to, to continue to stand, take a stand no matter what happens uh, for you. God, if, they, if they're outlawed to stand against you, they would stand. If they incur are encouraged to, that they would stand, God, just as we are. God, may we support them and, and other brothers and sisters around the country in prayer as they face these decisions and persecution because of their faith in Christ. We thank you. God, we, we pray also today as we look to your word, that you would open our hearts and minds to be receptive to it, that God, your spirit would be convincing us and have change and, and challenging us of the ways that we need, uh, need to repent and, and come closer to you. God, it is our desire to humble ourselves before you and, and God, to, to be the body of Christ and that looks like an obedient body of Christ. God, we want to be found faithful. We want to be loving to you and loving to others. Help us increase in that love because of your great love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we, as we begin this morning, um, the book of Ruth, we're in the book of Ruth, and uh, I'm going to ask you not to turn there in your Bible and not to open right now. Just put your Bible next to you for a minute. I know that's odd, but it, the book of Ruth is, 
is a, a book that was given and passed on orally. Not just like, we'll change it as it goes, but like, I'm a dad, I'm going to read it to my family and make sure my family understands that this is, this is the truth of God and that the love of God is there. It was meant to be read and heard. So in that tradition, what I want to do today, we're going to bring the lights down a little bit. I just want you to listen. Close your eyes. Listen, it's story time now. And we're going to do a dramatic reading of the, of the entire book of Ruth so that we can, we can be encouraged by that and then, and then let God teach us uh, from that as well, okay? So we're going to do a dramatic reading of the entire book of Ruth. You don't need to follow along. You can just listen, and then we'll, we'll get into it, okay? <clears throat> you guys ready? All right. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. She kissed them, and they wept loudly. We insist on returning with you to your people. Return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on. For I am too old and to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourself from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. Don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, Can, Can this, this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has oppressed me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? 
So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her, daughters, or with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth, the Moabitess, asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord, the Lord bless, bless you, you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant, who was in charge of the harvesters, Whose young woman is this? The servant answered, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter. Don't go and gather grain in another field, and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you, so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you with what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, I have found favor with you for you have comforted and encouraged your servant although I am not like one of your female servants. Later at mealtime, Boaz told her, Come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters, and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to go gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, Let her even gather grain among the bundles, and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into town, where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. What happened, my daughter? The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Verse 20. Page 4, I'm verse 20. The same page. My daughter, it is good for you to work. May the Lord bless him, because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living of the dead. The man is a close relative. He's one of our family redeemers. He also told me, stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. My daughter, it is good for you to work with female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. 
Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Ruth, uh, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you'll be taken care of? Now, isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on your perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. I will do everything you say. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of a pile of barley, and she, became, and she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled. He turned over, and there, lying at his feet, was a woman. So he asked, Who are you? I am Ruth, your servant. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness than, now than before, because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning. If he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now, lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he told Ruth, Bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went in, into the town. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, What happened, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. He gave me these six measures of barley because he said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. My daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest unless he resolves this today. Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. Soon, the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. Boaz said, Come over here and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took ten men of the town's elders and said, Sit here. And they sat down. He said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought you should be informed. Buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know. Because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I am next after you. I want to redeem it, he answered. On the day you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man to perpetuate the man's name on his property. I cannot redeem it myself, or I will ruin my own inheritance. 
Take my right of redemption because I cannot redeem it. At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to another party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. So the redeemer removed his sandal and, and said to Boaz, buy back the property yourself. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Kilion, and Melon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Melon's widow, as my wife to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among the relatives or in the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. All the people who were at the city gate, including the elders, said, We We are are witnesses. witnesses. May the the Lord Lord make the the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, Leah, who together built the house of Israel. Israel. May May you be powerful in Ephratah, and your name name well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He slept with her, and the Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became his nanny. The neighbor women said, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Now you can go ahead and grab your Bibles and uh, open it up with me. Um, actually, we're going to do something a little different, but we're going to be in Psalm 136 uh, today. So we're in, the, we're in the series of Ruth, and we're going to be studying out of the book of Psalms. Isn't that great? And last week, we were in the book of Ruth, and we studied the book of Judges. Um, I want to give a little bit of a background uh, to this. We, last week, we, when we started the, the text, we, we, the first line of the book of Ruth said, during the time of the Judges. And, and we had to set the table and kind of understand what was happening during that time, Right? It was, a, it was a dark, dark time in Israel's history, probably the darkest ever of Israel's history, but it was not unfamiliar to us as it paralleled much of our culture today. And what we talked about during uh, last week's message was this, that during the time of the judges, Scripture says that, that there was no king and everyone did what was what? Right in their own eyes. And sometimes we can think, oh, that's good. I, I could do what's right in my own eyes. But we really challenged that, that what they were doing was, was in, in being indifferent to God and doing whatever they wanted. They would, they would wrap their, their mind around their own truth. They would bring around them a, a, a people who would say like-minded things just, just so they could be uh, right. And, and, and that's what it was. It was this indifference to God, a sinful, sinful indifference. And I, I, I cautioned you, but I did say go read Judges and go read for, certainly the last four or five chapters of Judges 
Um, and it's, it's pretty graphic. It's pretty, pretty rough. I talked about how, how my heart grieved over that as I read. And, and it grieved because I saw the parallels that were clear to today's society. Parallels that say, you know what? I'm going to live like there is no king. I'm going to do whatever I want. And, and for you and I, as we came last week, we, we didn't think that that's how God would convict us, right? But we know that in our own hearts and in our own lives, there are times that we live like there is no king, like I'm king, and where I do whatever I want, what I think is right in my own eyes. And the challenge then was, was to understand that there is a tension in our hearts, in our relationship with God, and, and because of that indifference to God, because of not asking him what may be right in his eyes and doing what I think is right. And we had to kind of make sure we, we harmonized the, uh, the, the tension that came from that and the tension that came from God saying, I love you and I, I want you to be my people, but I also want you to obey. And we talked through the tension of that as well. And, and ultimately what we wanted is this, this relationship that was, that was softened by the cross, that was built by the cross, and that was able to be response, responded from what happened on the cross. So let's talk about the tension just briefly again. The tension was this, and, the, and, and today's message is, is talking about this, this love of God, the, the hesed love of God. And your, your sermon title says hesed on it, and we're going to talk about this love of God, and it's really one of those almost undefinable, indescribable, let's say, uh, loves. It's like it's so deep and so rich and so thorough that we can't really wrap our full mind around it. So we're going to try to do some of that today. We won't get it all, but we'll try to get some of that done. But it's this love that endured from, from the foundations, before the foundations of the universe, and it will endure long into eternity forever. It's this deep, deep, enduring, endearing love that God has for us. And, and we saw this in this tension when God, in Genesis 3, made a promise, a covenantial promise to his people. He said, I, I am your God, and, and, and I want you to be my people. But because the sin has entered the world, my promise is this. Through the seed of the woman, I will bring someone who, although will be striked by, on the heel by the serpent, he will what? He will crush the serpent's head. I'm promising that there will be a deliverer. There will be someone who has victory over Satan, sin, and death once and for all. There's a promise made in Genesis 3. And then we, we fast forward. We see the Abrahamic covenant. God said, I'm, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And through you, there will come one that will be the Messiah, right? And then we, we get fast forward from that, and we go to the Davidic covenant. We've talked about that in, in previous sermons and sermon series. But Ruth's not even there yet. And, and the beauty about Ruth, the last part of the story, as we talked about it today, there's this beautiful lineage and Obed was the father of who? Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. At the time, who cares? But for you and I to look back and be able to say, you know what? This was, this was profound. What was happening here was profound because it makes sense of this covenantial love of God that's, that's before the foundations of the world and goes all the way forward into eternity forever. That's what we're looking at. So I, I want to look at trying to define Hesed. For us, And I know I can't adequately do it. I'm going to give you some words from Scripture that, that kind of describe what it is, okay? Hesed is described as being loyal love, covenantial love, steadfast love, merciful love, redemptive love, providing love, enduring love, and faithful love. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful type of love. And it's this full love that's like, man, God is going to these huge extremes that we might, that we might see and feel his love. But, but it's more than that. I, and as I studied this and thought through this and pondered, I, I see Hesed as this movement of love through all of time. 
It's not just like God comes and says, I love you, I love you, I hope you have a good day, I'll see you later. He's like, I love you, and I want, I want to wrap myself around you and, get, and devote everything I am to loving you and blessing you and giving you this promise that I promised long ago. I want everything about me to be about that. He, he, there's two descriptions I want, two kind of sentence phrases I'm going to tell you that kind of help me understand this, okay? Here, here's one. It says this. Hesed is conduct or, or actions that are in accordance with God's covenant with us. It's God acting in accordance to his covenant, his promise with us. Hold on to that for a minute. The next one said this, that faithful love, faithful, merciful, right, redemptive, steadfast, covenantal, loyal love endures with no end, and it secures its own end. It secures its own end. Very beautiful picture of this. And I want you to think about this movement. We, and we'll see it today in Psalm 136. There's this movement of, of God's steadfast, enduring, faithful, loyal love that starts from the, before the foundations of the world. He, he, he's there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coexist eternally as one God, happy and satisfied in themselves. Then they say, let there be light. He speaks, speaks everything into existence. And by, by just the sound of their voice, we exist. And then he, he forms man out of the dust of the earth and breathes life into him. He's made in the image of God and everything is made good. And so we have this creation lens of God's enduring love. Like I created you. We'll see in a little while how, how amazing that is and how his enduring love matches with creation. That just the fact that he created you and I so that we could have a relationship with him through and by his enduring love. So through and by his enduring love, he created us so we can have a relationship with him through and by his enduring love. And that enduring love is not just a one-time, once-and-done. It's a continual thing. So the continual part of the story is that, and God knew it, it wasn't like, a, like oh no, this happened, I, I didn't, wasn't expecting it, is this, it's that sin entered the world, right? We see in Scripture that, that, that Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden, and they, they, they went against what God had said, one rule, obey this one rule, please, couldn't do it, and they sinned against God. And when sin entered the world, we, we see that death entered the world. So we have creation in this loving, enduring God who created us by his loving, enduring, faithful love and, and is sustaining us through that. But then we mess up. We make this mistake called sin and then sin into the world. And then all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Every one of us, one of us have made that mistake. So we have this, this, this curse that's now on us. But God, it's not a surprise to God. So God in his loving, enduring, faithful, loyal, merciful love has that plan before the foundation of the world. And the plan is what? Our redemption, our forgiveness. And see, the tension existed last week. We said, God, God's a loving God. God promises to love us and, and to forgive us and, and that we can be with him forever. You can have the land. You can inherit the land, right, is what he was telling the, the Israelites. This is going to be your promised land. I'm your God. And, we, we, and even today, we have this, this idea, this notion that God is all love, and it's just so loving. And, and books are written by pastors who don't really know the truth and say, God's love, love wins. doesn't matter what you do with it. And see, that's dangerous. The tension there is I can do whatever I want. If God's love wins, it doesn't matter how or what I do, then I'll do whatever I want. That's not a relationship with a God that is, has an enduring love for us. On the other side of that is a God who says, I, I want to bless you, but I can't because you're being disobedient. So there's, here's some standards and rules and some parameters I want you to follow. But then, then we can get into that camp and be like, well, 
I want to please God so badly. I want to please Him so much that I, I fall and cru- I'm crushed under the pressure, right? The pressure to obey, the pressure to conform, the pressure to live up to expectations I can never meet. He knows that. He understands that you can't. So what was the plan? The plan was the cross. His enduring, loving, faithful, merciful plan before the foundations of the world was to set himself up as the perfect sacrifice so that through his sacrifice, you would see and understand a freedom in the love of Christ to be free from the power of sin. And you don't have to be perfect. God is is making you perfect by the Son. His righteousness is now yours because of him. On the other side of that, he went to the cross and, and was crushed under the parameters that you and I were being crushed under. But he succeeded in raising from the dead because he's God. So where you and I set ourselves up to fail is that place of like, I can just sin all the more because God loves me and he wins. He didn't die on a cross that you could do whatever you want. He died on a cross because he loves you and he wants you to respond in love to him and faithfulness and obedience to him. But he also didn't die on a cross for you to, to live under guilt and fear and shame and pressure for the rest of your life. That you don't have to be perfect. And you don't have to beat yourself up for it because he got beat up for it. And you don't have to crush yourself because God was pleased to crush him for it. And you don't have to kill yourself because why? Jesus died for you in your place. Because of the enduring, faithful, merciful, compassionate love of God. Faithful love of God. We have redemption through Jesus Christ. And you move the story forward. There's this ultimate goal we have. God says, I, yeah, we, we keep moving down the line. And what I want you to see is, is not only is there redemption and you're forgiven and, yay, you can kind of rest easy. You can kind of breathe. You can have a, a, a relationship with God and, and, and a, a good relationship with God. He says, it's not just for this life. It's for, from forever to forever. And the last lens we have of a worldview is restoration. That God's loving, faithful, merciful, enduring, compassionate love not only existed before the foundations of the world, but it's pushing forward all the way through sin and to the cross and through the cross to the resurrection and to the final restoration where one day he will, he will welcome us in and we will be with him forever in a place where there is no sin, where there is no pain and suffering, there's no cancer anymore, where we will all be whole and he'll wipe away every tear and that relationship then will be finally full and, see, and, be, and seem completed. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about this enduring love of God. So a couple of things I want to mention about that. One is this. As you go home, as you go home and read Ruth, you have the, like the NC-17 is the, is the judges, and you have like the G-rated version is Ruth, right? It's really kind of a nice contrast. But go home and read Ruth together and look for this movement of God's enduring love throughout the book. You're going to see it, and it's amazing. And over the next four weeks, we're going we're gonna to break it apart and take a look at it and see how amazing God's enduring love is for us through the characters in, in the book of Ruth. But today what I want to do is, is look at Psalm 136 because I want us to unpack what, what is, because the overarching theme of Ruth is hesed. God's faithful, merciful, passionate, enduring love that, that endures forever. And, and that's what moves and motivates God's action. And I want you to understand that. So Today we're going to do something a little different. We did this um, several months ago, but we're going to do a responsive reading. Okay, so Dave, you want to bring that up for me? I'm going to read the, the white part. You're going to read the yellow part. Now, we sang this song earlier, right? Did, didn't we sing this song earlier? Yeah. We're going to sing it again later because it's just it's worship. Now, I want, to, I want to tell you something. I, for me, I've come to the place sometimes in my worship of God where I kind of get grumpy. 
like they aren't singing enough worship songs or not singing enough hymns. And I, that's not doctrinally sound enough or deep enough or, or it's too repetitive, right? We have these notions in our mind. I want you to understand, Psalm 36 is going to really irritate you then if you're like that. Okay, it is very, very, very repetitive. 26 times it says his faithful love endures forever. But there's also 26 verses of faithful doctrinal truth of what that looks like. So today, as, as we do this, I, I do, like Jesus would say, don't pray, don't worship in repetition, mindless repetition. But if you're going to repeat it, put this right here. Let us understand and know the depth and breadth of God's faithful, enduring love for us. So we're going to see a, a picture of God's faithful, of Hesed, from this. Okay, are you ready? Okay, we're not going to practice. We're going to go right into it. I'll read the white parts, and you guys can read the yellow after me. You, in unison, please. Don't rush ahead too fast, all right? You know how, you know how it is. You're, you're say, saying the Pledge of Allegiance, and there's that one person who has to do it too fast. No, don't do that. Okay, you ready? Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. He alone does great wonders. He made the heavens skillfully. He spread the land on the waters. He made the great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. He struck the firstborn of the Egyptians and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. He divided the Red Sea and led Israel through but hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. He led his people in the wilderness. He struck down great kings and slaughtered famous kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, And Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to Israel, his servant. He remembered us in our humiliation and rescued us from our foes. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. Good job, you guys. Now, I, I want us to under, understand that's, that's tough. I know that's tough. And I, first service, there, it was almost like jaw-dropping, like, wait, he slaughtered in his faith. And, you know, that, it's, it's tough stuff. And I want to put this into, into terms for you. We're going to look at five quick points about about Hesed, but, but I want us to understand it from a different point of view. And I, I asked God, I'm like, God, I need you to tell me and show me, like, how does this work? How does this fit 
to describe it, and, and it's not even adequate, but it's, it's as close as God gave me to help me understand this, okay? So we talk about hesed is, is conduct. We saw a lot of conduct in that passage we just went through. It's conduct that is in accordance with God's covenant, okay? Here's, here's the illustration that I, that I really think is a good parallel. There is nothing that I will not do for my children. There's nothing I will not do for my children. I'll, I'll make, I'm going to go through the list. I'll make things for my children. If they need a little work area, I'll make a little workbench. Yesterday I was on the counter with my son. We were, we were sitting there together and I made a Lego creation of a helicopter, right? I, he wanted to build, let's build. I'll make things for you. I'll make dinner, right? I'll, I'll make you things you like. I, this is, this is hard. How many runners out there? How many like to run? Yeah, exactly, right? I would run. I would run for my kids. I would run for my kids. I mean, I'm, I'm inside our screen door. We, we hear what's going on, and I hear a scream somewhere on our acreage. I, I drop, and I run. Like, where, what's happening? Are they okay? I run. Maybe not be very graceful, but I run. I would run for my kids. There's nothing I wouldn't do for my kids. I'd run. I would spend for my kids. I'd spend money, I'd spend time, right? But I, I'll buy, I'll buy them clothes, I'll make sure they have a good warm bed, I'll, they have blankets, they have, they have meals, they have, they're, they're protected and safe. I'll, I'll even spend when they don't deserve it. I just want to spoil you, I just love you, here's a gift, right? Your grandparents are great at that. Stop, no. It's love, right? I w- there's nothing I wouldn't do, there's, I would, I would, there's nothing I wouldn't spend. I would stay awake for my kids. If you're a parent of an infant, or soon to be one, Alistair, where's Alistair and Kim and yeah, you'll stay awake for your kids, right? You're going to stay awake and and as they get older, they get, maybe have rough nights. You'll still stay awake with them. As they get a lot older, or they're teenagers, you're staying awake like waiting for them, right? Where are they? This past curfew and you're sitting there on the couch and they come in. That's because of your faithful love and is enduring with them. That's Hesed. You're staying awake for them. You would wait for them patiently. You'd wait for them. You're patient with them. You're sitting on the couch waiting and it's been an hour past and an hour and a half past. Where are my kids? Today, it's not so easy anymore, kids, is it? You have an iPhone. It's like, track my iPhone. I can GPS you. I know where you are. But back in the day, you didn't have that. You just wondered where they were. Are they safe? Are they okay? You waited. The other night, I was waiting for my daughter. My daughter was just emotionally a wreck, and she was breaking down on the bed and just crying and throwing a fit, and I just sat in the chair next to her bed. Bailey, I love you, and when you're ready, I'm, I'm ready to hold you. And I just waited. Just waited. I would use force or violence for my kids. Right? If, if someone was harming them or, or bringing harm or trying to harm them, I would use force or violence to protect them and, and rescue them. And take it a step farther. If I had to choose between me or them, I would die for my kids. I would die. Whatever it takes. Right? I... I and I see this Hesed love that is modeled in God and through Christ and in the Trinity. You see it modeled. And, and we're created in the image of God. We should be reflectors of that as well. And that's, and that's the best way I know how to reflect that. I think there's all kinds of ways loving kindness can be reflected, but that is how it's modeled so, so beautifully. And, and I want to go further than this because the idea of, of Hesed is this. Uh, there's an enduring covenantial love. Like it, I don't just do those things because I, I feel warm and fuzzy, 
my, my deep down desire is that my children would grow to be complete and full and filled with hope and love and joy and that, that the things that we go through life doing would, would benefit that and build that and, and progress towards that. It's not just a ho-hum kind of life. Like, I guess I'll just tackle it one step at a time. Obviously, we do that. Life is linear. Time is linear. And we one day at a time, right? One foot in front of the other. But in, in the heart of hearts inside of a parent is that I want my child, my precious child, to become and be this. And I'm not talking about, why well, I have ambitions for my kid that she's going to be a doctor. No matter what, she's going to be a doctor. And some parents do that. That is not hesed. That's force, right? That's like, you will, you will, I will will you to be exactly what you're going to be. Hesed is, I am going to love you and build you up to this promise. And I want to point you to the promise and the covenant of God. See, that's, that's as a parent what we ought to do. And, and that's, that's tough. Some of, our, some of our kids, I mean, mine are five and three, so I've got a long way to go, right? Some of your kids are like 15 and 13. And some of your kids are like 23 and 25. Some of your kids are 40. It's not over, is it? Your hesed love for them is continuing. You're, you're, you're moving towards a goal. This promise, this, this thing you have inside you says, this is what I want. And there are bumps in the road, I guarantee you. But you press through those, don't you? You press through those for your kids. So when we look at a, a psalm like Psalm 136 and see hesed, Explain it. You can go home and read it more and go find other verses, cross-reference Hesed in the Scriptures. Make a full study out of it. It's great. This is, this is the enduring love of God from before the foundations of the world to the ultimate goal of the covenant established and, and brought to fruition in the re, uh, restoration in heaven in, in all eternity forward. This is, it's, it's huge. It's not just like, oh, you know, about a span of three years because that's when Jesus did his ministry. We'll do this real Hesed love stuff, and then we'll be done. It started long, long ago. So what, what I want to look at today, I want to look at Hesed, and I want to look at five things. Number one is this. We, from our text in Psalm 136, Hesed stirs up thankfulness for his supremacy. A couple of the, of the verses there, I'm just going to highlight a couple of things. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Right? Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. He alone does great wonders. There's this beautiful, beautiful picture of God's supremacy and that, that the response from our heart to His enduring love in being supreme is thanks, thankfulness. Lord, in verse 1 it says, Give thanks to the Lord. That, that name for God, Lord, is translated Yahweh or Jehovah. Some people translate it to Yahweh. It's the great I Am. It's the self-existent one. So in the Psalms when we're talking about Yahweh, we're talking about the Lord. No other little Lord. It's the Lord, the self-existent one. No one created him. He's the uncreated one. He is Lord, the great I am. And then in verse 2, it says, give thanks to the God of gods. That name for God there is Elohim. It's this, it's this creator, the mighty God. The same, same word is used in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. He's the one that, that spoke it into existence. He's the one that made it happen and go forward. And, and, and in terms of use, there's a couple of cool things about that. Elohim kind of indicates a plurality, showing off the Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it also is God of gods. It's like in all these other gods, Elohim is. It's not just El, it's Elohim. He's the God of gods. He's the master of, the, of them all. So the psalmist, is, as this is written, is proclaiming the enduring, faithful love of God by the power of his supremacy. 
But there's no other God bigger, including me and you. Amen? I, I'm not God. I can't be in that place. And the little, little G gods, they can't, they can't handle it either. We don't have to wonder who's supreme, and we can be thankful for the fact that He is supreme. He is the God of gods. Now, it, 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 hesed, that kind of hesed, should produce, while incomparable, right, an enduring love in us back. This, this enduring love, this faithful love, as we build this picture, should produce this, this melted heart. And, and you think about that. Is it, for some of us, it's, it's, I know it's inaccurate, but for, for some of us as parents, or some of you, I haven't fully felt, felt it yet, but for some of you as parents, you have felt and understood this hesed love from children back to you, where they've grown and they, they, have, they have looked, before they looked at you, it was like, okay, what do you want me to do? And now they look at you, they like, look at you and like, yeah, you're awesome. You were, you were amazing. You put up with a lot. Wow. Just, just that relationship you can have. Maybe you have that with your parent. Like there, there's that, that's that reciprocating, right? I'm going to give that hesed back, back to him. So hesed, number one, stirs up thankfulness for his supremacy, that he is God. Number two is this. Hesed is seen in creation. It's seen in creation. The passage goes on in verses 5 through 9. He made the heavens skillfully. He spread out the land on the waters. He made the great lights, the sun to rule by day, and the moon and stars to rule by night. And you can go into all kinds of creation account. Go back to Genesis 1. You can see what God has done and what he's spoken to existence, how he created us in his image. And it's funny because we see this creation there and don't quite understand and comprehend that we aren't the creators. And we aren't to worship the creation. We're to worship the creator. And we aren't that. We, we get so wrapped up, and this goes back to last week, that, that there is no king, so I'll, I'll be king. Instead, that's not the way we look. We look to his supremacy and say, life is not all about me. I am not king. There is someone else. We, we live, here's how we live, and this is so, man. Oh. We, we live from birth to death. And, and we, we, we live like that's all that's important. Once I'm born, it starts. I'll be invested in, I'll be taught, I'll be nourished, I'll kind of start making choices, I'll wrap my mind around ways to live, and that's all that matters, and then eventually I'll die. We live as though our life matters that much. God exists and lives as though it matters more. Before the foundations of the world, He knew you. And He is a God that is from forever and two forever, and wants you and I to have a forever relationship with Him. He's thinking in bigger terms than you and I could ever imagine. Psalm 139 is a beautiful, beautiful portrayal of this, of this God knowing us and how much God cares for us and how God made us. Psalm 139 says, He knit us together in our mother's womb. You are skillfully and wonderfully made. See, and physical death isn't the end. So we, we talk about, listen, sorry, Physical life is not the beginning, and physical death is not the end. I need, to, I need you to know that. God knit you and I together. He knew us before the foundations of the world, and he knit us together in our mother's womb. And as a parent, I started investing in my children when I knew something was being knit together in my, my wife's womb. And I will invest in them until I no longer have breath and God will care for them long beyond when I die, long beyond when their bodies finally give out. God is not talking about life to life. He's talking about life to life forever. That's who God is. 
And that's God's enduring, faithful love. And we like to say, well, no, uh, we're, we're certainly more compassionate than God. We know better than God. This is what's really important. God's like, you are so short-sighted. I wish you could see how big this was. God's enduring love is seen in creation. That, his, that movement of enduring love started before the foundations of the world, and he had his thoughts in mind on you. And he's bringing, bringing all throughout history, he's bringing to the points where you and I could have this redemption from Jesus and ultimately be restored and with him forever in all of eternity. He's given us life so we might have a relationship with him. Creation shows off Hesed. Romans 1.20 says, For his, his, that's God's, invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what has been made. As a result, people are without excuse. We can't say, I didn't see Hesed. I didn't see God's love for me. I didn't see his divine attributes, right? Those invisible attributes, his divine power and divine, or his eternal power and divine nature. I, I have to say, I, I think there's Hesed there. That, that Hesed is clearly seen by what's been made. Look, first of all, look at the intricacy of you and I. Look at the intricacy of our bodies and the physiology, but then go beyond that. Look at the intricacy of our emotions and our spirit, our relationship with people, how beautiful it is. I, I couldn't even fathom when, I had, when we had a child, right? And, and everyone always says, oh, well, when you, when you have your own, it's different, right? You're like, I don't know, how am I, I going to love someone that much? And you hold your baby, and it's like, oh. <laughs> that relationship, right? That relationship, that God, there's so much intricacy in that. And God, that's the God of Hesed, God's Hesed love and creation that's showing off his divine attributes. And then you look around. You take a peek around where we live. It's just, it's, it's screaming the glory of God. It's screaming his enduring love, and he's created this for his glory and for our enjoyment, that we would see him. Hesed is clearly seen in creation. Number three, we see an attribute of Hesed. Hesed rescues and redeems. Hesed is a rescuing and redeeming love. Here's Psalm 136, 10 through 15. Here's what it says, and this is, this is where it gets tough for us. We need to understand Israel was, was in captivity, in bondage, right, with, with Egypt. They were slaves. They were made to work, given very little. It wasn't a fun life. They were, they were in bondage. And, and Moses went and said, hey, let, let God's people go. You're, you're messing with the wrong people. Let God's people go. And they refused and refused. And God brought plagues and plagues and, and, and all kinds of things to them. And finally Herod says, fine, right, I give up. But, but it wasn't fun and games. Here's what it says. We, we, we said it earlier. He struck down the firstborn of the Egyptians. God's like, you will listen to me. These are my kids. Stop being stubborn. You will listen to me. He struck down the firstborn of the Egyptians. He brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and outstretched arm. He divided the Red Sea. So he's leading them out. And then there's the Red Sea in the way. God, you know, God could have let him out. We could say, and we like this. We like to have a hands-off God, right? No, we like, to have God's, we like God to have his hands off of us. You see the difference there? That's how we live sometimes, right? Oh, we like to have God's hands off of us. Eh. God, get your hands off. My kids are like that. Like, stop, stop. Don't, don't try to influence me and make me do what you want me to do. and be what. Get your hands off. God didn't have his hands off. They're, they're being led through the wilderness. They come to the Red Sea. What does he do? There you go. And what does he do? He leads them through. It's Pharaoh at that time who had said, go ahead, take the people. He's like, you know what? I changed my mind. I want to be God. I want to, I want to have them back in slavery. And he comes following behind, right? And what does our scripture say? He, he led the Israelites through. In 15, he says, but hurled, 
Pharaoh. I love it's, it's this judgment there, and you, you see it in Jonah also. It's beautiful uh, contrast there. But hurled, hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. And that proving his faithful love endures forever. That's hard to swallow sometimes, hard to, hard to think about. And it goes on in verse 23. I coupled that. It says, He remembered us in our humiliation. Right? How, how many times have you been embarrassed by something foolish you did as a child and your, your parents could have every time said, I told you so. What does a parent do? Picks you up, loves you, hugs you, dusts you off. Says, come on. He remembered me in our, or us in our humiliation and rescued us from our foes. Sometimes our foes are ourselves, right? But certainly for us, it's sin. And we can parallel this to the New Testament. We can parallel this with the, with the covenant that's been established and seen fruition in Christ on the cross and through the resurrection. Our foe is Satan and, and, the, and our enemy is sin. What has Jesus done? He's rescued us. He's remembered us in our humiliation of sin and guilt and He's rescued us from our foes through the cross of Christ. And this gets messy. I know this redemption gets messy, but understand this, this, this redeeming, this hurling Pharaoh and his armies into the, into the ocean, rescuing from foes, coming up here pretty quick. We're going to see kings slaughtered. It is back to our, our original definition. It is conduct in accordance to the covenant. It's conduct in accordance with the covenant. And I know there's a song out now. It's called Reckless Love, right? You heard it on the radio, Reckless Love of God. Really, it's a great song, but I, listen, it's called Reckless Love, but God's love is not reckless. It looks reckless to the world. Like, oh, he's just happenstance trying to figure it out along the way, and he's going to kick down doors and figure it out. Here's, here's what it is. It, it, it's not, well, it's not even wishful thinking. See, God thinks, people think God is like, oh, he's a wishful thinker. He, he's hopeful for the best, and things, bad things come up, and it surprises him, and he's kind of trying to go around it or over it or under it. That is not God at all. He's, he's pursuing that motion of his covenant. He says, I promised you that you'll be my people. I promised you I'll provide redemption from a cross. And, and, I, and you will have forgiveness. And I will do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes. And he, here's, what I, here's what I think he says. And I want you to hear the, the, the slight difference in how this is usually said. I think God says it this way. I have promised this, right? And nothing is going to remain standing in the way. We like to say it this way. I'm doing it, and ain't nothing going to stand in my way. Lots of things are standing in our way. I love my children. I want what's best for them. I want them to reach that goal of, of, of personhood, of knowing Jesus, and having hope and joy, and being full, right? All kinds of things get in the way. Every single day. It'd be foolish for us to think they aren't going to get in the way. And God isn't foolish. He, he knows things are going to get in the way. He knows things are going to come up against him and his pursuit of his love for us and his covenant with us. So that's why I said it's God saying, I've, I've promised this and nothing is going to remain standing in the way. So it's an acknowledgement, I think. You know, yeah, the things are going to get in the way. And I am going to remove them. I am going to remove them out of the way so that my people, I can, and that's an enduring love for his people. And you've got to relate that to children. You think about children in that. Don't get in the way. If you are, I'll, I'll let you get out. But if you don't get out, I'm going to make sure you get out of the way. We want what's best for our children, the love that we have for our children. We want what's best. And God's like that too. There's this redemption he's offering. He, he wants you to come to know Christ as Savior. He wants you to see that Christ took the punishment that you deserved. He doesn't want anything to get in the way of you coming to know and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants for you.
And he's doing, willing to do whatever it takes to get that stuff out of the way. And he'll use all kinds of bad for his glory, and he'll even create something that may look bad, but it really was getting things out of the way so you could know him more fully. And that's not reckless. That is purposeful. It's conduct in accordance to the covenant. Number four, Hesed is the provision of his enduring mercy. There's so much to this, you guys. There's so, like the, we could just spend weeks on the word provision or providence. Enduring, right? Mercy. And we're putting it in one point for two minutes here. The provision of his enduring mercy. God, God provides for his people, and that provision is his mercy. It's merciful. Remember what the definition of mercy is? It's, it's us not getting what we deserve. So you think about God's people, God's faithful remnant we talked about last week, coming forward and God sustaining them through, through this time of the judges and a time very critical in the history of the world. God sustaining them. And God's mercy, is he's lavishing his mercy, this enduring, faithful, loyal love. He's lavishing it like mercy on them. And, and here's what he says in Psalm 136, 16 to 20. He led his people in the wilderness. Good parents do that, don't they? We don't just let our kids go run amok. Sometimes we'll give them some freedom, but we're watching. God led his people in the wilderness. He gave them manna. He provided for them while they were there. I'm not going to let you run around on your own. He struck down great kings because of those kings' harsh treatment of, those, of the people, because of their, their disobedience to God or indifference to God, their unrepentant hearts. They were standing in the way, and they remained there, and God said, you can't remain there anymore. What's happening to my people might be just, but I am a merciful God, and I'm not going to let them get what they deserve. So get out of my way. He struck down great kings, slaughtered famous kings, and then it says he gives food to every creature. He makes sure we're well provided for and taken care of. Sure, God could be like, there you go, have fun. And people think that. People think God spoke the world into existence, the universe into existence, and said, let it spin, go for it, have fun. And steps off, just watching to see what happens. I, I don't know about you, I can, I can see, I can feel God's present love and His enduring faithfulness continuing throughout every day. And you look at your life, and I, I see some of your lives like, wow, look at the enduring love of God in that life. And then you look at the Bible, and you see the enduring love of God in their lives. God is up to something amazing. God is very much present, and God is not, not willing that we just go out on our own. He wants to be our God, and He wants us to be His people. Psalm 98, 1-3 says this, to sing a new song to the Lord, for he has performed wonders. His right hand and holy arm have won him victory. <clears throat> As a parent, it's victorious, right? I want, I want to have victory. I want my, the victory is that my kids would become that, and I could help them get there and get everything out of the way so they can. <clears throat> God has won him victory. The Lord has made his victory known. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. This is what we're talking about when God provides for us through His enduring mercy. It's to show and reveal His righteousness that, so, that all of us need. And so many reject in exchange for their own righteousness. God's like, no, I, I've got a righteousness for you. I want to show it off. Here it is. And everything I'm doing, everything I'm moving out of the way is, is a part of my enduring love, that lasting enduring love of my covenant, of my righteousness to you through Christ and that everlasting peace you can have and hope you can have with me in eternity. That's what he's setting up. That's what he's promising. That's the enduring mercy he's providing. 
He has remembered his love, he says, and his and faithfulness to the house of Israel. Hesed. He's remembered his love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth then have seen God's victory. It's about Jesus. It's about God. It's about him having the victory and him having supremacy. It's about living like there is a king and it's Jesus Christ. That's what we're about. And that as we do that, we will see this, this victorious God show off his righteousness and all the while showing off his enduring, faithful, committed love to you and I. We see God's victory. Finally, number, number five. Hesed ensures the blessings of his covenant or secures the blessings of his covenant. God's faithful, loyal. Remember at the very, very beginning, I said hesed is conduct in accordance with the covenant. So whatever he's doing is in accordance with the covenant, with the prize in mind, with the goal in mind. It's going to happen. But I also said faithful love endures with no end, and it secures its own end. I'm going to endure. Here's what it isn't. This is for you and I as parents. We do. We endure. Our faithful love endures with no end. But we cannot all secure our end, can we? Our children will eventually have to make their own decisions. Our children will have to stand on their own two feet, and we can pray for them and hope the best for them and ask God to be with them. But ultimately, that's up to God. But when it comes to God's covenant, God is not there thinking, my faithful love is going to endure to the end, and I really hope it works out. That's not what God is saying, is he? He says, my faithful love is going to endure to the end so that you and I can praise him and thank him that his love has endured forever and that it has worked out. He has secured it in its own end because he is God. He will do whatever it takes and has done whatever it takes to get to that cross, that Jesus would get to that cross. Think about Jesus. He's in the garden, right? And, and they're coming to arrest him. Peter's like, I don't know. Don't, you're not going to be arrested. You're not going to be taken. We're going to make sure you're safe. And what does he say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Get out of the way. Don't, don't get in my way. I have a goal in mind. And my faithful love, enduring forever, is going to secure that goal. That's a God of love, isn't it? That's a God of love. And, and so you see this presented as his love is, is this in, in ensuring and securing the blessing of his covenant. What's beautiful is you look through the book of Ruth, you're going to find it all the way to the end. And we read that. I said it earlier. We, we read this lineage, didn't we? The lineage of who? King David. Because we know, looking back, there's a D Davidic covenant. That was also an Abrahamic covenant before that. And before that, it was in Genesis 3, pointing to the, the, the Messiah. So we get this excitement. Like, like everything that has happened in Judges and in Ruth is part of God's enduring, faithful, loyal, merciful covenant with you. All going up to that, that wood right there. Where he, he was nailed to the tree and he didn't go there because he deserved it. He went there because I deserved it and because you deserved it. His faithful love endured on the cross. He poured himself out for us. Psalm 136, 21, 22, and 26 says, and he gave the land as an inheritance. There's this promise, this blessing that's coming. An inheritance to Israel, his servant. In verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven his faithful love endures forever. God of heaven. It's not just, oh, I showed up on earth for a little while, took care of some things, and, and left. I, I am here for you from before the foundations of the world and, and well into the, the future of all eternity forward. 
I will be an enduring, loving God. Now, the last thing I want to do is I want to, I want to turn to Ephesians, and I want to show you, show you this model, this movement. In a glimpse, because it doesn't even do it justice, right? But in a glimpse, I want to show you this model and movement in the New Testament of, of God's enduring, faithful love. <clears throat> You know, it's, it's wonderful. I'm so excited we get to ce- celebrate today in the Lord's Supper. We're celebrating communion today. We're remembering the body and blood that was shed because this, this is, right, this is the culmination of God's faithful, enduring love for us. But he didn't stay dead, and that's why we come to celebrate every Sunday, don't we? We should celebrate every day. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His what? Love endures forever. It's forever. It's not just, oh, it's done, and we're so sad. It's, we, we celebrate that because he didn't stay on it, stay on it, and death couldn't hold him. Ephesians chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 3 through 9. Let's read that together. It says, We too, so let's uh, parallel, we too, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under the wrath as others were also. So it sets the stage, right? God created, there was life, there was fall, and you and I are not far from that. We are right in there too. That we are all separated from God because of sin. We are children under wrath. Right? God's wrath, that is an enduring wrath, but it's a merciful wrath saying, I want everything to get out of the way. So that wrath, the wrath will happen, but, but, but justice will be served and that, that mercy can prevail. And look what he goes on. It says, four. So we're children under wrath, verse 4. But God, who is what? Rich in mercy because of his great love for us. What's that sound like? Hesed? Loving, enduring, faithful love for us, merciful love for us. He what? In verse 5, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our sin. We were dead and he made us alive in Christ. Again, this love, right? Go on. You are saved by grace. So there's this gracious, rich in mercy, this great love he has for us in Christ Jesus on the cross. This is this enduring, faithful, merciful, gracious love, loyal love that he has for us. And and that's an amazing thing, that we can be made alive in Christ. That's the culmination, right, of of this amazing, amazing love for us, this covenantial love. And he did everything. Every action was done to move forward this covenant it was done in accordance to the covenant but but it didn't stop there look at look at the next verse in verse six he also so it didn't just make, didn't just make us alive he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in christ jesus we're not just going to snuff out we're going to live forever if we're redeemed in christ jesus so here here's the here's the why Right? We're, at that point, we're like, oh, yay us. We're so happy. We're so good. I'm such an awesome, because God, God loved me so much. I just feel so good about myself. But here's, here's what happens. It turns, turns the corner again, right? So that in the coming ages, he might display how great you are. Nope, doesn't say that, does it? He might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's Hesed. God wants to save you so people can see the salvation and love of God. That He'll put that on display so that everyone can see His amazing, enduring, faithful, loyal, merciful love for us. That's what He wants to put on display. 
For you are saved by grace through faith, and it is not of yourselves. Yeah, it's not about you. It is God's gift. Again, part of Hesed is a gift. Mercy. Not from works so that no one can, what? Boast. You and I don't have anything to boast about except the cross of Christ and Him crucified and and that He has given us life and we will spend that life in eternity with Him. Amen? It's all about Him. So when we talk about Hesed, this enduring, enduring, amazing love of God, it culminates with, with the body sacrifice of Christ on the cross, and it, it continues from that into the resurrection of life, into, into eternity, into the restoration that we might live forever with Him because of Him. His enduring love that was shown in creation and created us and allowed us to respond to His enduring love at the cross, and His enduring love will continue to carry us through into eternity with Him. That's Hesed. And it's all done. Everything He's done has been for you and I in accordance with the covenant He has, he has promised to us. I'm going to ask now the, those who are serving the Lord's Supper, if you would come up, please. And the worship team, if you would come up as well. We are going to, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper today. So as we approach the Lord's Supper, as we approach sharing communion together and, and celebrating the body and blood that was given that we are celebrating His faithful, loyal, merciful, providing, redemptive, covenantial love found in Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about, amen? And as we do it, it's not about us, it's about Him. The way we, we do this every five weeks now at our church, and the way we do this is we, we'll, we'll pass out all the elements to everyone, and we've, we double cup them, so there's a, a cracker on the bottom cup and a juice on the top cup. So it doesn't float like a boat, right? Um, and then we, we would ask that everyone would take one. If, if you are a believer in Christ, if you are a Christ follower, this means something to you. This is huge to you. This enduring love is huge to you. Take that and participate with us. Consider the motive of your heart that it's all about Him and not about you, that you would, you would let anything out of your heart that, that's hanging you up. If you're not a follower of Christ, if you're here, you're kind of watching, you're kind of trying to figure it out and learn, we're so glad that you're here. But, but we don't... This wouldn't mean to you what it means to us. We just ask that when it comes to you, if, if you aren't there, to, to pass it along to the next person. There's no judgment on that. We're glad that you're here. We're glad you'll be a part of this family. We hope that you would know Christ and know his covenantial love for you as well. Then once we pass all the elements out, these guys will come back. And as they come back, uh, we, will, we will partake together. So just wait to, wait to partake, and then we'll, we'll do that then, okay? Well, some music playing, and you guys can contemplate as we pass out the elements.